This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. Nope. Mm-mm. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, American Sex, with Ken Melvoin Berg and Sonny Megatron. Here we are with another week with American Sex Podcast, and there's some interesting stuff in the news today that I wanted to talk about, Sonny. Uh, our friend Stormy Daniels was in Columbus, Ohio, I believe, at a strip club, and she was arrested for doing her act. Now, what 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 the actual crime that they arrested her for was touching somebody as a performer in a strip club in Columbus, Ohio. What that means is it's her job to go out there, be naked, do dances, like maybe do, you know, a couple of twirls on the pole, but she came around, she was interacting with the crowd and maybe she dragged her fingernails across somebody's back. And, you know, sometimes they come up to you and they like motorboat you and like do things like that. But it's, it's, if they do it to you, it's kosher if you, but you are not allowed to touch them. Right. And so there was no touching of her that was going on. She was arrested because she touched other people that were there to see her performance. But the reason why they arrested her, it was a sting of the Columbus, Ohio Police Department, I believe. And shame on you, Columbus, for doing this. We're going to yeah. be in Columbus in a couple of weeks. We liked you, Columbus. What the heck? No, we love, we Columbus. love Columbus. We love people in Ohio. Yeah. Not too crazy about law enforcement there right now. Like, this is yeah. a really shitty and very basic bitch move. And, right. and on top of it, they ended up just looking like asses because they arrested her she posted bail and then they just absolved all the charges they're like nope right. we're, you know and from what happening. i've heard now i saw this on twitter i haven't seen like the official update but from what i've heard they also then arrested a couple of other um girls that were dancing at the club and i think as of this point as of this recording they're still in jail so the other girls are, yeah, but not, and I've I've only saw this in tweets. I, it's not confirmed. Well, I mean, that, part of that maybe that Stormy has very good legal representation, and they were like, "Oh shit, yeah." And, I, I don't and know what the, going the girls on. that were in the club. Now, my my thought is, did this happen last Thursday? Did it happen three Wednesdays ago? Did it happen a month ago, where the police came in and they were arresting strippers for doing their stripper jobs? No, no, no. That, that's not. because they targeted Stormy right. Daniels specifically. Right. They didn't arrest and then these her. other girls were caught up in the right. backwash of the whole thing. They they arrested her for being Stormy Daniels and being a sex worker and having the audacity to speak out against that orange Cheeto in the White House. You know that that's what. Do you they, mean the Mango Mussolini? The Mango Mussolini. The apricot it's like asshole. I can't even say his name. <laughs> it's like he's Voldemort. Like I was gonna say the poop. What does Melina call him? Hair de Mort. Yeah, like I can't even say he's the president because I just blah. <sighs> Hi everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of a week. Yeah. Fuck everybody. Fuck yeah, everything. we're fucking crabby, man. Hi everyone. Hi everybody. I'm Ken Melvoinberg, and I'm Sunny Megatron. Did I've you forget had... who you were? No, I just I've had it, Ken. Not, I'm I'm. Everybody sucks. They do. Yeah. Do you, do you realize now that this is episode 
fucking 50. Yeah. Episode 50. We're almost at our one-year anniversary, Ken. We are. Oh, my God. Two more episodes, and we're at a one-year anniversary. Actually, well, I think we want to say we had, we had like 54 episodes this year because we did a couple. Or, August 9th will be our one year. So whatever episode we're on then. Our anniversary. Oh, it's also our wedding anniversary. But this week's guest for, for the podcast I'm very fucking excited about is Dr. Jess O'Reilly. Dr. Jess is a sex and relationship expert, a keynote speaker, television personality, and host of the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. She holds a PhD in human sexuality with a focus on sex education. Her practical relationship advice reaches millions each month via mainstream media outlets, and she travels extensively across the globe to work with couples, including royalty and presidential candidates, to transform their relationships from good to great. Now, I do have to add that Dr. Jess is Canadian, so we are going to try and have her smuggle us north yeah. at some point. Put us so in your suitcase. Can, please, Dr. <laughs> Jess, put us in your suitcase, please. And uh, she also does Ultimate Frisbee, which I think is awesome. That's very awesome. I absolutely love Dr. Jess. And I think, not, not I think, I know I have a complete brain crush on her. She is so spot on in her cut through the bullshit and you know drilling down to the real issues that we need to focus on to have better relationships so we decided to make this sort of a relationship episode we talk about things like the science behind the chemistry of love the importance of taking calculated risks in your relationship and how that's actually vital to the longevity and the quality of your relationship we go over the resentment and criticism that creep into your arguments why it's important to know you and your partner's argument styles and she gives us some tips and techniques and resources that you listeners can start using today to improve how you communicate with your partner. And we also get really personal too. So Jess first opens up about why she's recently been creating content with her husband, Brandon, and all three of us dish about the true, very secret lives of sex educators. So that's a good one. It's not what you expect either. It is not. <laughs> it's not so, what you expect so at th all. There's a couple of things that I wanted to add here. First and foremost, if you are having relationship issues, because a lot of what we talk about in this episode boils down to communication. And I think the most useful bit of advice I've ever gotten in my entire life was when you are trying to communicate with somebody, you need to communicate with them in a way that they understand. So it's not important to be right. It's not important to argue in the way that you need to argue. What is very important, if you actually want to resolve a conflict with a partner, a child, a friend, a business associate, is to make sure that they can understand the central core message of what you're trying to say in the way that you are trying to say it. Yep. Now, do you know what time it is? It's a big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. <laughs> that was weak. Oh, come on. I was, our, our, I was trying know, to be tender and, and our Patreon family deserves better than that. Oh, I know. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be Ethel um, Merman. Yes, Ethel Merman. It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining our family this week. Essa 
If you'd like to support this show and join our growing Patreon family, head on over to patreon.com slash American Sex. By becoming a Patreon member, you'll get all our episodes early, bonus content, and stories from our guests, plus much, much more. Hey, listeners, keep your eye on my YouTube channel and my Instagram TV because peepshowtoys.com set me up with a bunch of awesome sexy, sexy stuff. I have a video up this week about the newest toy in the Fun Factory thrusting line, the Stronic Reel, and I'll be doing another Facebook live stream in the coming weeks comparing and contrasting some of the hottest wand massagers on the market provided to me by Peep Show Toys. Peep Show Toys is awesome. They're a small, independently owned pleasure products retailer, and they go above and beyond to support other small businesses like The Butters, a queer black-owned company that makes an incredible all-natural loop. Peep Show Toys is sending a whole mess of two ounce jars of the Butters Loop with Ken and I to give to our students in our classes at the COPE BDSM conference in Columbus, Ohio this month. They're an awesome company that's doing great things for the community. So please send them some love and head on over to peepshowtoys.com. And when you do use code SUNNY at checkout, you get 10% off your order and you can use that code as many times as you like on whatever you like. How many ever of whatever you'd like. So that's kind of awesome. And by the way, as Sonny mentioned, we're teaching in Columbus, Ohio the last weekend. And it is July 27th to 29th at the COPE BDSM convention. That's the Columbus, Ohio Perversion Excursion brought to you by Adventures in Sexuality. We will have that link to the event page in our show notes at americansexpodcast.com. And we'd love for you to join us. And if you're there, please stop by and say hello. We're also hosting a giveaway this month with Castle Megastore. You can win a pretty Love Ford silicone clitoral stimulator. To enter to win, go to sunnymegatron.com slash pretty love Ford. And you can also get 20% off select items at castlemegastore.com when you use the code sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y at checkout. All right. Hold on to your ass, your earbuds. Hold on to your seats. Hold on to your tits. Hold on to all the things. Because here comes Dr. Jess. I'm super duper excited because we have on the line Dr. Jessica O'Reilly. Hi, Dr. Jess. We love Dr. Jess. Aw, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. We love you. For those of you who um, have seen uh, the TV show Sex with Sunny Megatron, if Jess's voice sounds familiar, she was on the show in our panel of experts segment, so you may recognize her from that, and a whole bunch of other stuff. If You're all over the place. You're on TV. you got a podcast. You're, you're everywhere, She had her right? own TV show. Yeah. Yes, and I had fun on Sex with Sunny Megatron. <laughs> yay! Yay! You had the Canadian right. connection, right? Uh, totally. To- a, the Canadian connection. So, A. <laughs> a. Do you have a B? Do Canadians have a B? I, I don't know. Well, if you have an A, you have to have a B. No. We, just an A. <laughs> You're just making that up? Oh, but the Canadians are really sorry they don't have a B. Oh, I shouldn't make Canadian jokes. That's bad, oh, right? This is the worst time ever to make Canadian <laughs> jokes. We need their gratitude and favors because we're the only way to run for the United be States right now is I know, north. I know. Hang on, though, guys. I, just so you know, in Ontario, our most populated province... Where we have the city of Toronto, one of the biggest cities in North America, one of the most progressive cities in North America, we just voted in our own version of Donald Trump oh, yeah. as our premier. Yeah. So, like, it's our version of your governor. 
We uh, just voted in. You might remember Rob, Rob Ford. Ford's brother, right? Rob yeah. Ford's brother, Doug Ford. And so the he so you know, it's interesting because Canadians are very self-righteous about how much better we are. We don't have the same racial intolerance and religious intolerance and homophobia and transphobia and misogyny. And let me tell you, the votes say otherwise. So it's, mm. it's a sad time in a number of spots, including well, Ontario. But, but, but you do have the P-MILF. The what? <laughs> the P-MILF. The Prime Minister, yeah. I'd like to fuck. Yeah. So he, <laughs> he, and he Ken's mostly straight, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does that. some good things, but he he can do his own stuff as well. So That's don't no, and we, we've actually been hearing that. But compared to Trump, like he's a he's a choir boy. Yes, yes. Compared to Trump. Yeah, if we're grading on a curve, absolutely. Yeah, you know, like right now, like class. Trump is like yeah. Lex Luthor in the in the League of Evil, and then like Doug Ford, he's I don't know, he's like the scarecrow, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He he's pretty bad. He is. All right. So speaking of I don't know, tumultuous relationships, which I sound like I have marbles in my mouth when I say that word. Uh this is the relationship episode. That's what I want to talk to you about, Dr. Jess, because every time I listen to your podcast, I you know, read articles of yours, you have such great practical insight when it comes to just getting along with your partner and understand what what the heck is going on, you know, what part of it's science, what part of it's personality, what part of it's sex. And I love the way you break things down. So I'm going to start with one of the questions I know we get asked all the time, and I'm sure you do too, our, our stereotypical, let's say, email comes in, and it goes something along the lines of, hey, I've been married to my partner for 12 years, and things have gotten a little stale. So I thought, you know, if you gave me some blowjob tips or some G-spot <laughs> tips, everything will be great. Yeah. And it's like, hmm, you know, maybe it's not as simple as I just need a couple new blowjob tricks in the bedroom. So that's where I want to start. What happens when we get to that, like, I've been married for 12 years slump? Is, is there a science to it? Because it seems like we all get there eventually. Yes, there is a science to it. And it tends to happen long, long, long before 12 years. But we don't really get concerned about it and start talking about it and start seeking advice until, you know, six to seven years after the beginnings of the problems arise. So you hear me talking about relationships a lot. And one thing I talk a lot about is passion. So mm -hmm. everybody from every walk of life wants passion. They want excitement. So, you know, when you first meet your partner and you want them so badly, you want to get them naked. You want to see what they look like. You want to get your paws into them. Mm -hmm. That's what we all want. But the problem is you get to know them. And once you know them, you know, you <laughs> they don't leave their underwear on the floor and they make the eggs wrong and, and they don't <laughs> screw the cat back on the pickle jar. And so the reality is that like that lustful desire and excitement and passion only lasts naturally from on average. And these are just averages. Okay. But say six to 12 or 18 months. All right. And for a lot of us, because we move more quickly in our relationships, it doesn't even last for the six months. We can get bored after eight weeks, after 12 weeks. And so I often talk about the chemistry of love. And so this is 
chemistry is not the only piece, but I think it's a really fundamental piece. And I think the fact that we don't understand the chemistry of love leads to a lot of the problems we have in the Western world. So I don't see this Mm. in the East as much because they don't expect sparks to fly. They don't expect to find a soulmate. They don't expect, they know that you have to grow love, that love and relationships take work. So from the chemical perspective, like the simplified version is when you first meet them and you want to get your claws into them, it's because you've got these spikes in norepinephrine and adrenaline, serotonin, dopamine. So the chemicals that your brain deals with when you're using drugs really heavily. So you can either fall in love or you can do cocaine and you get this similar response in the brain and it feels really damn good, but you can't live at that level all the time. Mm -hmm. And so then you transition to this second, so that first phase of love, we call it passion or limerence. And then with time, if love is blind enough for you to get through it, you transition to a connected love, to companionate or attachment love. And those that's a chemical shift as well, which involves oxytocin, which most people have heard of, and vasopressin. And so like if you take an animal in an experiment and suppress their vasopressin levels, they actually will abandon their young. So staying oh. together is a chemical. I know I'm sorry. Poor little a, baby pandas I with know. no mom. I know. Well, I don't know about the pandas. We know in Canada the prairie mole for sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, the experiment I read about was with the prairie mole. But if I had looked maybe in the, you know, a different region, it might have been a panda. <laughs> so we've got these these hormones or these chemicals that keep us together. We've got these hormones that that keep us excited. And the big mistake we make in our relationships is that traditional relationship advice is all focused on attachment. Like, how are you kind to one another? Say thank you. Hold each other's hands. Look them in the eye. Tell them how much you value them. And of course, you have to do all of those things. But The mistake we're making is we say, oh, if you do all of those things, the sparks will fly and the sparks will not fly because I said, thank you for screwing the cat back on the pickle jar, right? (laughs) You have to do things that are scary and new because when you first fall in love, the reason it's so exciting, as I said, is because you don't know them. It's novelty. It's fear of the unknown. When you get butterflies in your stomach, it's not because you found someone you love. It's because you're nervous and your anal sphincter is contraction, contracting. Like, <laughs> yeah. So you need to do things that make you nervous. And we stop doing that. We actually spend too much time, especially in North America, on comfort and kindness. And uh, don't get me wrong. Most of the relationship is about kindness and security and and understanding one another but there has to be a degree of taking risks and i see this in in business too so you know i work mostly in corporate and the big mistake that corporations are making is that they do so much to retain their great staff their great talent to keep them happy right like you know google they've got babysitters they got dry cleaners they got a free lunch they got all these things and they wonder why they still lose brilliant minds. And it's because people want risk. People want things that are scary too. So you have to create opportunities for your partner or your staff to grow and take risks. Otherwise they're going to move on to something new and shiny and exciting. Right. So you know that that actually kind of brings up a point for me. Now I know that um, being sex educators and you being a sexologist, it's not like we don't have personal sex lives. And you know, sometimes even for us, things go stale after a little while, but I'm noticing, and tell me if I'm crazy about this, are you having Brandon on the show more? And it seems like you guys 
are connecting more on a on a personal level. Uh, what what's going on with that? You know, it's interesting. So, Sunny, one thing you're really really good at, I think, is just being yourself. And oh, thank you. Even though I'm in the public eye, I'm not as good at it. Like I really struggle with with opening up. Um, I am definitely like a people pleaser too much. So I'm sure you are too. I think most most women are raised to be. Mm-hmm. But like mine is at like a pathetic level. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. And 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 it's funny because you know you like I've had psychologists on my show to try and help me with it. But and they're like, well, you have to like yourself. But the, here's the thing: I freaking like myself. <laughs> I just really struggle. And to, to your question, Ken, when Brandon is by my side, I feel so much more comfortable opening up. And I think it has to do partly with just my personality and our personal relationship, but also just being a woman in the public in the public eye blows balls. It yeah. sucks, man. Like no matter what you do, people are pissed off at you. Now being in the public eye for everyone is a struggle, but like being a woman and being a young woman and being a mixed race woman and an Asian woman, like a, a race that tends to get fetishized. Like, right. And I, then you're talking about sex on exactly. top of it. Yeah. So I just really struggle um, with opening up and can you like hit the nail on the head when Brandon is next to me, I feel so much more safe, not only because I love and trust him, but because some of the damn attention is deflected away from me. And Mm. it just feels so good. Like actually I would like him on my show every week as kind of like a co-host or producer or whatever it may be, because first of all, the man is amazing. Like he's just the most amazing. Um, did you guys meet him? No, no, we never no. had a chance to meet him in person. Uh, he's just like, I know when you were filming here, you were really busy. I know you work like long, long hours. Yeah. But he is just so amazing and so supportive. And and just anyone, like if it was someone I even barely knew and it was like a man sitting next to me, I just feel safer. And I mean, Sonny, you must have some some experience of this, of like kind of being afraid, like, oh, if I say this, this person's going to be mad. If I wear this, I'm going to get criticized for this. You know, you know, like I get so much hate mail yeah. um, from people wishing malevolence (laughs) toward me or telling me how stupid I sound or how I'm destroying relationships. And goddamn, like the only reason I'm in this field is because I want people to feel better about themselves because I want, I believe we can make the world a better place one relationship at a time. I believe that workplaces would be happier environments if people had happier relationships at home. I believe that there would be less conflict in the street. There would be less road rage. Like all like, and I mean, even like greater world problems could be addressed if we just empowered people to work on their most important relationships, whether that's with an intimate partner or with their kids or with their social circle, parents, whatever it may be. So, you know, when people tell you, you know, you're destroying the world one relationship at a time, I'm like, man, I just want to give up. And I'm sure every person in this field feels deflated at times and just wants to, you know, pack it in and go work at Starbucks or sell flowers on the corner or whatever would be a little. Yeah. yeah. There's a really, there's a really high depression rate among sex educators. That's one of the thing I think that's a constant that sort of drives us. It's sort of like comedians, like on the outside, they tend to be very vocal and outgoing, but almost every one of them are chronically depressed and that's mm. where their comedy comes from. And for us, I think it's that we genuinely want to help. Right. And that that's an extension of that. But you know what? I'm really glad that like Brandon seems like he's your Ken. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. I, like, like Sonny is very much like everything you were describing there. 
Yeah. And I, I'm really enjoying hearing you both on the podcast together and just, you know, seeing more of you and your relationship and, and how things actually work, which, you know, we totally like, I still want to talk about the science of relationships, but I have so many questions in this end is I know me as a sexuality educator, people on the outside think, we have the most sex. We have yeah. the best sex. Our relationships are perfect. Mm-hmm. Our sex lives are perfect. So how has being a sexologist and even those views of people on the outside actually affected your real personal life? Well, I actually remember having sex once and um, <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. And I'm really looking forward to doing it again. <laughs> no, yeah, it's so, of course, everyone thinks we're swinging from chandeliers and always, and we all, I mean, we're very lucky. Um, so to answer your question, being a sexologist has certainly opened a whole new, I want to say world, but I think I'll call it can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in terms of access to different parties and environments and people and scenarios. And that's been really cool. Just being in these, these environments, like going to sex parties. And I think what's really cool, and I don't think I've ever thought of it this way, But I think it's cool that sometimes you go places because it's a part of your job or it's for educational purposes. Yes. And you derive personal benefits from that experience. Yeah. Like I I look at, I work down at this this resort often called Desire Resorts. Mm -hmm. And I go for work and I certainly see it as work. I'm not complaining about my work on the Caribbean Sea <laughs> at this resort. <laughs> oh, not, life is so hard. <laughs> yes, it's it's not exactly grueling, but it's really cool because I can say for instance Brandon and I derive sexual benefits from being there. Now we don't we don't have sex with other people and we don't even really have sex in public anymore. We used to when honestly, when I wasn't on television. Um, But we still, when we go down, even though we're just having sex with each other in the room, there's all of this sexual fodder all day long that gets us going. And it's not always like that. Like, for instance, I just came off of a a cruise with Desire, and Mm -hmm. we were in, uh, in Spain, Italy, South of France and Monte Carlo. So also very difficult work. Right. I know. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I was working on the cruise, but it wasn't hard work. I had two little speeches and then socializing, but I was very tired from just the rest of the year. And I had, I got really sick. Uh, you know, I got a little cold and it was so funny because the couple next to us on the cruise, they were having sex all day and all night like i was like Can, are they really going it at it again because all you would hear is like boom boom <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And, and it was so funny because i turned to brandon and i said you know i feel so inadequate because here i am the sexologist exhausted from all of my travels like i i think i had flown something like eighty thousand miles between january and Ooh, the end of april wow. um, exhausted not in the mood because i had this little cold um and i'm like i am the sexologist here and i'm having the least sex and so of course you can counsel me and say 
just don't worry about it. It's about quality, not quantity. You don't always have to want sex. But I always have to remind myself of my own advice. And is that something you guys run into? Yeah, all the time. We go to like we do a lot of weekend conventions, like sex conventions, and everyone will be like, "I'm going to the dungeon, and I'm going to be there till four a.m. and then we're going to have an orgy." And then, and I was like, "I might be able to get eight straight hours of sleep." (laughs) (laughs) And it's you know, I find sometimes though that the I don't know. I I like being open about sex. Definitely. I love that nothing's off the table. I'm not too shy or too inhibited to, you know, consider doing some out there things. You know, it's like everything's on the table. However, it kind of gets to the point like we've been at, you know, standing in the middle of an orgy and it's like, oh, yeah, that person's lighting that woman on fire over there. You know, she's getting her tits sucked. And we're just like, yeah, Yeah. it's kind of like we've seen it all, which I mean, most of you be like, what? Yeah, but it's still at the end of the day, it's still a job. It's still a job. And sometimes naps are way more attractive than (laughs) blowjobs. I'm sorry, but like maybe it's just my age. But yeah, sometimes naps fucking are. But isn't I think a, isn't a nap always more attractive than a blowjob? It, yeah, it totally <laughs> is. It totally is. I've always said if I could figure out a way to have sex, sleep, and eat all at the same time, those are all my favorite sensations. Mm-hmm. I, it's not. I'm going to choke while I'm trying to sleep and have sex and have an. But it, you know, if I could do it, I would pack them all together. Does that mean I have to get another pop tart, sweetheart? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, we did pop tart cock. Have you know, ever had the, the last convention? No, no, I've like, never done that. Have you heard of sexomnia? Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, we haven't had sleep sex because I am a very nice person when I'm awake. I will never punch you in the face. I won't she swear at you. I won't call you names. When she I am the devil. I'm a very deep sleeper. And if you just touch me, I start swinging. She does. Like it's, it, and I swear and I call you every name in the book. And I, it's like, I don't know where that, maybe it's a hidden part of my personality that's a real yeah. bitch that likes You're to fight. You're too nice all the time. That's yeah. Funny. And it's it like comes pent-up. out. Yeah. It comes <laughs> out when I'm asleep. But it's interesting talking about this because it brings me back to novelty. Okay. So we were talking about how, all right, if you want to you know, spice things up in the bedroom, you need to bring that newness and that novelty. And it's something scary, you know, the, and we compare our BDSM a lot to like riding a roller coaster. It gets the adrenaline going, yes, the endorphins yes. going. And, and, you know, I've heard you say before, you know, it could be bungee jumping. It could be a murder mystery dinner. It doesn't have to be sex. You know, it's fun if it is sex. Um, however, we are in the midst of some of the most out there and novel things. Most people would have enough novelty fodder to last yes. them for months, spending one hour at one of our parties, you know. Mm-hmm. But to us, it's not novel anymore. It's desensitization. Yeah. Right? Like, so- I feel that way very much where... You know, the first few sex parties you go to for the first few years, it's very exciting. But now I need something else. I don't want to suggest that there's a hierarchy because I know people get afraid that, oh, I've done this. Therefore, I'm going to have to push my limits farther. That's not the case. It's not about being radical. It's as you said, it's about being novel and, and some sort of risk. Like, I do think we are so risk adverse in relationships, right? Like, even if we talk about the other, I was, um, commenting on a video in which I talked about swinging or consensual non-monogamy today uh, for somebody else's YouTube channel. And somebody said, you're just putting your relationship at risk. You're going to have more jealousy. And I'm thinking, 
risk is actually a good thing. And yeah. this is not how you put your relationship at risk. In fact, jealousy is not higher. It's lower in consensually non-monogamous relationships. But the, my point is, why are we so risk adverse? You need to take risks, calculated risks, or even feigned risk. Like that's a big part of BDSM is that it feels risky, but most of what you're engaging in physically, I mean, there are different activities, are actually very safe. Right. It's kind of pretend or controlled risk. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you're aware of the risk, but in the moment, you're acting as though you're not, right? Like mm-hmm. it's the ability to talk about things that you would never do. But for you and for me, I'm not going to say I've seen everything. I don't think I've seen everything. But there is a desensitization factor. Um, I wonder if this occurs for you. But for me, if people know who I am, like if I'm in a space where I'm expected to be an educator, I'm also not letting my guard down and enjoying in the way that I might, for instance, like if I went to Cap Dage and nobody knew who I was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always a part of you that has to be on, especially if you're at an event that has to do with, you know, a connected or work thing, even if you're technically, you know, quote, off duty at the moment, you're still out in public, you're still, you know, mingling amongst the, you know, festival goers or, you know, people on the trip. So you're still on to a, a degree. And yeah, I think there's a big part of it that, you know, we'll meet people, we don't I would say we don't play with as many people as we used to or at least not like strangers like we get to know them a bit when we let new people into our lives it's a very gradual thing and I think there's there's uh you know a degree of people who are like kind of starstruck sort of and it's like what are your motivations for wanting to play with me and can I even let my guard down enough to enjoy playing even if your motivations are completely pure you know, I think one of the, the interesting side notes of that is that all of us sex educators, when we're at events like this, have, uh, and I think that people that are vanilla from the outside, the, the people that are the trolls, have no idea how much morals and ethics we actually have when we go into a situation like a vulnerable, you know, like 20 person orgy or something like that. We really have to think about every action that we do. We're not allowed to just put our genitals on things and start rubbing. Like we have to think what's going to be the ultimate outcome of my activities at this event. Yeah. And as a result, I usually don't. Yeah. Like I just like watch. We, we, we tend not to. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's... In, yeah. And I know, like, monogamy is great, but that's one of the interesting things about polyamory is that we have the ability to connect with people that are on different sexual levels at different times. So I think that that's one of the things that's sort of helping us a little bit right now. And it's not for everybody, obviously, but we can control that a little bit, I think, when we have multiple partners. What do you think about that, Sonny? Uh, Yeah, I think that's true. What what do you think, Dr. Jess? Yeah, that that makes sense to me. Um, And I do think that, I I don't know how you feel uh, about this, but I think that because you, you, to some degree, you're in a position of power you have an added layer of responsibility when yeah. interacting with people. And oh, that yes. makes me very nervous. Uh, Brandon and I are pretty monogamous. Um, I, it's difficult. Like there's just no label I would use. Like sometimes I use the word monogamous, but we're just generally monogamous. Right. Um, we've ha- gone through different permutations of our relationship. It's been 17 years. Um but but I would say we're monogamous right now. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with, with lifestyle more than anything else. Like I really am on the road a, a lot of the time and we're apart a lot of the time. And 
all I really want right now is just to be with him. Right. Um, it also has to do with some other things that I'm not, I, you know, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really keen on having sex with lots of people. It's <laughs> right. just not the way I, I I'm actually not either. Like I, I much prefer, I mean, there's an occasional person, but I much prefer, um, playing in more of a mental BDSM sense. Cool. You know, yeah. but. And my version of that is probably just like the flirtation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Cause I like the buildup. Um, there are some other reasons as well, like more, more personal reasons, mm-hmm. but I do always think about if we were in a scenario, I think I would only want to play with someone who doesn't know what I do for a living. Yeah. Um, and I, I think about this for Brandon often because I think to some degree, I don't want to say I steer the ship, but because this is also my work, mm-hmm. I probably have more, fragile and more shifting boundaries. Yeah. And so I, I'm very, and I'm not saying this is the way it needs to be, but I'm definitely like, this is work and this is play. And I don't really like to mix the two. I um, very much am on board with ex- oh, everything okay. you're saying. Yeah. yeah, It's just the way I am. And I, I didn't know that because when I've gone to educator conferences where there's a lot of sex educators and I don't go to them often, like I tend to work, I'm kind of a fringe person mm-hmm. kind of on the outside. Um, I always feel like everyone's going to a play party and I'm the yeah. only one not going. Yeah. Or I go, I go to the beginning before it turns into all sex and I have a few drinks and chit chat and then I leave because I'm like, I don't want to fuck everybody. Like, so I've never been to one. Yeah. I've never <laughs> been to an industry play party, partly because, and, and I'll say this um, carefully, partly because of the people who have invited me have made me uncomfortable because there are right. people in our industry who are not perfect, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'll, I don't know if you'll remember this, but we were going to a sex educator conference conference and it was my first one where like a big group of us was going so I didn't really know everybody right and I had suggested oh let's have wine in my room before we go out and then somebody in the group we were typing right said like oh cool play party and I was like redacted 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 (laughs) just wine (laughs) I'm just a friendly I'm just a friendly Canadian wino not trying to orchestrate an orgy just wanted to have a glass of wine man and so I sometimes feel like a bit of a prude and worry that like I'm not trying to be snotty or exclusive or anything I just that's I I also am working like when I'm working I'm man I'm working (laughs) no I'm 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 totally like you and I kind of share the same brain in this respect and I will tell you a secret about you were saying that you feel more comfortable if you could play with someone who didn't know who you were secret I have a secret profile where I'm not me and I have a long-term play partner that I've been playing with remotely that I, I Skype with and do all sorts of things with does not know who I am. I can't wait. Like, I hope it's at some point we amazing. get to have him on the show. But like, yeah, he has yeah. no I mean, idea. Maybe one day I'll tell him. It's been like two years. No See, idea. And it's, and it's great. It's, not like, it's, it's great. not like we're like Angelina Jolie. Like, it's not like anywhere right. I go, people recognize me. I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, I'm just saying that when I go places, it's usually because I'm working. Right. right. And of course, I carry my signs with a picture of me that says, this is who I am. Buy my stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's not like, you know, you go to Starbucks and, and people know who I am. I'm not suggesting that at all. It's more that when I'm in these environments, it's usually for work. And I think, you know, you've kind of made me realize just in this conversation that probably what I need to do or what I might like to do is 
pursue opportunities that are not work related and mm-hmm. part of the challenge is honestly I work a little too much and I'm trying to change me that a too bit. are yeah. we the same person yeah, I'm, trying <laughs> to change I'm getting better I'm getting I play a lot too though like not yeah. play play but I play hard like I like to travel I like to see things I like to eat and drink right. and see architecture and whatnot so like if you see me on insta stories I'm sure anyone who follows me for my handle is very disappointed because it's just always like me showing you buildings. And I'm like, look, a Renaissance building. <laughs> yes. building. I'm here now. Rococo. Yeah. <laughs> Let me Google this architectural style and then put it on my story. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, I totally feel you. And it's like, for me, the anonymity and it, it isn't because like, cause I'm so famous. And it's because I don't have that certain layer of expectation. It's not there when you don't know who I am and what I do because it, you know, someone can say, Oh, it won't change the way I, you know, think about you or, but it does. They now are looking at me through a different lens because I'm now the expert. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've written how many books on oral sex? I go down on you and you're like, "Mm, that wasn't that good because your expectations are going to be so high and I'm not that good. I'm just good at writing them. (laughs) 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 Let me tell you how not good I am. (laughs) Oh my goodness. My husband, Brandon always says, um, under, under promise and over deliver. And he jokes about that in business, right? Um, like you don't want to tell people you can deliver more than you can deliver, Mm -hmm. but I, to me, I, I've, I've been with the same partner for 17 years, but I can't really imagine dating and what someone would expect from me in bed. Yeah. Because I only do two positions. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be like, what about page 65? Uh-uh, not page 65. Nope. nope, nope. That's just for the models. That's for other people. <laughs> yeah. Hey, psst, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for national public radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash American Sex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American Sex. Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle Mega store. When you get your sex toys, you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money. You'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like, oh my God, give me water. That was the best orgasm ever. 
right. So, and this is actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what advice do you give to other people that's hard for you to follow? So page 65 is one of those. Um, <laughs> um, a lot. Uh, because yeah. I, I cover so much content. And um, I'm actually pretty good about not expecting too much of myself. Right. So for instance, like I'm always coming up with activities and exercises and dialogues for couples to try and strategies they can do every day. And so I can, exp- if I expect myself or my partner to do all of those things, we're just setting ourselves up for inevitable failure. And even sometimes like when I'm arguing with Brandon or frustrated, I'll be like, well, why didn't you read that article I wrote? And I have to stop myself and remind myself that there is so much content to expect him to consume all of it and adhere to all of it and heed all of my requests or advice would be absurd. And it's sort of like when you're in a relationship and you look at everyone around you. So let's say you're married and you see people with their spouses and you see all these things these different spouses are doing like oh this this one buys their partner gifts and this one always get their gets their partner's door and this one is always complimenting their partner and this one posts pictures of their partner with amorous statements on Instagram and if i look at all those other people and compare them to one person that poor one person who's stuck with me is going to always fall short Yeah, because they have to be everybody and that's impossible. Exactly. So there's a lot of my advice that uh, I wish I spent more time on. Like, for instance, we started with novelty and novelty isn't just about trying a new toy or doing it in the bathtub or anything like that. Sometimes it's just about the conversations you have um, and having like really risky, meaningful conversations like talking about, uh, you know, if, if I were to die what would I want for Brandon in dating? What would I expect? What would I wish for him? What if he met someone two days after I'm exaggerating here, but two days after I died and he really liked that person, should he hold, should he pull back? And like, those are the types of conversations that force you to be vulnerable, make you feel uncomfortable. And in that discomfort comes the activation of some of those passion chemicals and you feel something new and exciting for yourself but you also feel a connection with your partner that that is not going to arise if you're just talking about sports or just talking about your kids or just talking about your your work and so I, I often talk about like the three deadly sins of conversation being talking about work kids and schedules and if you're oh god that's all me and Ken <laughs> <ever talk about. laughs> so, so if you can just find a risky question like you know if you look at those 36 questions from Aaron and Aaron like one of them and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here is do you have a premonition about how you might die um, or other ones like if you could have lunch with anybody in the world from any time in history whom might that be and why and those type of deeper conversations just they elevate your they're not just elevating the conversation but the connection and yeah. asking you to be more vulnerable asking you to open up and uh, I, I think that can do a lot more for your sex life and relationship than a new blowjob move. I mean, a new blow, the one thing I love about a new blowjob or kind of move is that anybody can do it. A monkey can do it, right? It's just 
so easy we could pay a monkey to do it if that was ethical. Right. Um, if a monkey could do it. I'm glad that you added that in. I was like, I get what you mean, but this is a weird visual. Yeah. But then you added that in. I was like, everything's good yeah, now. Yeah. Okay. okay, wait. Did, did both, when you said monkey, did both of you have chimpanzees in your head? Because yes, I had a yeah, chimpanzee yeah, yeah, yeah. specifically. And I'm a biologist. I know a chimpanzee is not a monkey, but immediately that's okay. where my mind went. So back to monkey blood. So I literally okay. have no clue about the different species of monkeys, but I'm picturing one of the ones with the bear butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm thinking maybe bonobos 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 yes so so but the point is like sex is actually easy it's actually a very easy thing to do it's our cultural hang-ups it's our relational uh interactions that make it difficult and that's why i'm a sexologist but more of my work is around relationships i also kind of like it better like i got very bored of of talking about oral sex over and over again um and, and so I think that we just, we need to work on the way we talk to one another. We need to work yeah. on the way we feel about ourselves because we live in this world that makes us feel really terrible about ourselves, right? Like we're never tall enough or skinny enough or rich enough or light enough or dark enough or shiny enough or, or whatever it may be. And so we spend so much time suffering, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's our work as, as, you know, I guess we can call ourselves sex experts um, or even just facilitators of conversation around sex is to help people yeah. feel better about this one mm-hmm. area that is just natural. I mean, I, I, and you, you already know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but we have to have the conversations. Like we have to like each other. If I'm pissed at you because I don't know, you glanced at your phone during dinner instead of listening to my super exciting story about Monkey blowjobs. Monkey blowjobs are, yeah. Well, let me tell you, if you talk about monkey blowjobs, your partner's not going to glance at their phone. The problem is, here's another thing. Like, you want to change your life, stop complaining so much, right? I tell people, like, these small strategies of try not to complain for an entire day. See what happens. And then try not, That's impossible. Try not to complain I, about your body. Because this is the big thing I'm you seeing. You know, it's really hard to not complain <laughs> about something. I know. I'm complaining about it. No, I know. Yeah. And I, I hear you. I'm not saying I don't complain. Like, I'm not like rainbows and butterflies. Um, having said that, I know how good my life is. Like, my life is exceptionally good. Um, I don't, you know, knock on wood, have any real problems. Although in the heat of the moment, every problem feels like a crisis, right? Right. And so, you know, my mother's from Jamaica, Um I travel to Jamaica often. I travel like a rich, rich tourist, of course. And you see how people are living in other parts of the world. And it's it's really absurd, right? The things that we stress about. And I, I always, like, I tell people, first of all, try to not complain about your body. Like, it's mind-blowing not to complain about your body. And we have this thing where if we look at it from a gendered perspective, um, I hear a lot of relationship experts teaching men, hetero men, Oh, make her feel sexy. Tell her she's beautiful. Compliment specific parts of her body. And, and I'm like, okay, that's a good thing. I, I'm, I'm not disputing that. But then we're not talking to these women, hetero women, about not complaining about their bodies. So it's his job to make you feel fabulous while you sit here and complain about your stretch marks? Like, how is this his job? This is right. your job. A lot of times, uh, you know, when couples are in that, you know, it's been years and years and years and we're not relating to each other well, you see that like resentment creep up in everyday communication or like criticism, that sort of thing. What do we do about that? Uh, well, first and foremost, I'll look at those issues separately, but resentment, mm-hmm. you want to think about what it gets you, right? Because a lot of people feel resentment. And they hold on to that resentment because they think they're going to get a positive outcome from it. 
And so I always find with clients, it's really helpful to ask them, like, well, what do you want? If you think this way and behave this way, what is the outcome you're expecting? Right. And so it's never going to be you get what you want. Right. Holding on to that resentment will only take away from what you want. So that's I kind of frame it as, okay. so you're mad about this. You're holding you're turning that anger into resentment over this. What do you want the outcome to be? Right. Um, Right. So that that's usually the kind of the cognitive restructuring we look at the, the Mm -hmm. piece with criticism is really interesting because I think criticism often stems from not speaking up. We oftentimes wait until we are so incredibly frustrated with a situation and we let it fester so significantly that we can no longer ask for what we want. So we wait until we're frustrated to speak up, which is why our communication is often framed as a series of complaints or criticisms. And when you criticize, your partner is almost inevitably going to respond with defensiveness, aggression, withdrawal. So I think what's more important from a preventative perspective is to speak up before you become frustrated and resentful as soon as something bothers you. But we, again, this is like a Western romanticized notions of relationships being perfect. We don't want to speak up in the beginning because we want it might cause a fight. It might cause trouble. It might cause turbulence. We don't want to say anything. Maybe it'll go away. And and it never will. Any problem you have is only going to get worse unless you address it. And so I, I think that when we think about getting what we want, we have to ask for it instead of complaining, right? If you complain, like even when you think about it in customer service, if you go in yelling and screaming and complaining, then you're not going to get anything. If you go in and say, listen, I want to give you some feedback um, because if it was my business, I'd want to receive this feedback. Dude, you're going to get a 20% off your next next flight coupon. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like if you just frame it as a request instead of a criticism, you're going to get so much more. So if I Mm -hmm. say this to somebody who's super riled up and angry in the heat of the moment, they're not even going to listen to me, right? So you need to wait until you've calmed down to have these conversations. I I, I take a really practical approach to any sort of conflict. I think that you should go sit by yourself and write down your problem. Write down what is bothering you because you'll say that it's about not putting the cat back on the toothpaste, but it's really about the fact that they invited their parents over and didn't tell you ahead of time or expected you to cook or some other bigger issue. So write down what's bothering you. Mm -hmm. Then write down two things. Write down your partner's role in creating this problem. And then don't you dare get up until you write down your role in creating this problem. Because it's never a hundred zero situation, right? right? And then finally, like in the fourth column, write down what you want out of this. Like what is the outcome or solution you want? Do you just want your partner to consult with you in the future? Do you want them to acknowledge the work you put into things? Do you want them to say thank you? Do you want them to fuck you more? Like, what is it that you're really looking for? So if you can write down what's bothering you, your partner's role in whatever's bothering you, your role, and then what you want the solution to be, and then go to your partner with that. And if that third column isn't complete what your role is, don't even think of going to them because you always play a role. Even in the way they respond to you, the way you speak to them is a big part of how they respond to you. So I, I, you know, and I'm really lucky because I I work with um, entrepreneurs and CEOs primarily. Like there's these two organizations I work with and Uh they get that they're responsible 
for their own outcomes, right? They, they have training in this, like they're very, they're into their self-development. I'm not coming in with a blank slate, but if we could all just accept that if you have a problem in a relationship, you're partly to blame or partly, Mm -hmm. that's not a nice word. You're partly responsible. You can get so much farther. So accept your resentment. Like your partner did not make you feel resentful. You feel resentful. Now, their actions might have led to that elicitation of an emotion, but ultimately you have to be responsible for the way you think, the way you behave, and ultimately the way you feel. And you can't control the way you feel, right? You can change right. the way you behave, you can change the way you think, and that will adjust the way you feel. I don't know if that's a little complicated answer maybe to, to the question about resentment. No, no. This is super helpful. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to take notes. Yeah. But people have to take responsibility. Like every time when I'm pissed at Brandon, let me tell you, I love that man. Like that man is just an incredible human being. I am blessed to have him in my life. But when Mm. I am mad at him, I hate his guts. Like it's just the way I am. It's my personality. I'm like, how, why would I even marry him? Like what, what is this guy's problem? You know, I should just marry my dog. Like I am, I am extreme. Okay. And I have to remind myself that I am extreme. And you know what? Sometimes what I'll do is I will write down. I I can't even tell you guys, this guy is such a good person, but I will write down why he's so fabulous in my moments of positivity so that I can turn back to that list and remind myself that what I'm freaking out about, which is usually nothing. And usually on like the 28th day of my cycle, (laughs) it's just the way I am. Um, I, I have to remind myself. So I find that writing things down is really important. And I also think that a solution focus is important when it comes to fights. Now, Does that mean you can resolve every fight and have a solution all the time? No. You have to also be okay with the fact that you do fight. The happiest couples fight. fight. And I don't mean fight throw dishes at each other necessarily. But if you don't disagree, like the scariest thing to me is when a couple comes and says, oh, we've never had a fight. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? That was my first long-term relationship. We didn't fight for like 11 years. And then it was like... Mm-hmm. it blew like all the arguments that we didn't have that we were avoiding for 11 years all happened at one time yeah, of course it was incredibly like oh my god yeah and you can't that you've let it fester so long sometimes there's no coming back from that oh and there wasn't yeah well thankfully actually our it, fights are the opposite we fight right away and then it goes yeah. away and i think as you were talking you know i think that you know how or how, i know there's importance but i want to ask you how much important importance is there recognizing that you may have a different uh like argument style than your partner and what and what what made me think of that is when you said when you're arguing you go write it down and ken and i have figured this out but you know at first it was an issue where like when he's upset he needs to talk about it right now (laughs) let's solve it (laughs) and first of all sometimes you're so like irrational at that point there's no solving anything where i'm one of those people where i'm like i need to calmly go digest Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this tomorrow. And at first it was like, you know, we're butting heads. And then we realized like, oh, we're different. (laughs) And, you know, and then we were able to to account for that. And it's fine. But how important of a step is recognizing that? Well, I I think it's essential. I mean, you just summed it up because... I mean, nobody can really fight fairly when they're physiologically flooded, right? Like once your heartbeat is over 100 beats a minute, once your blood pressure is up, you lose the ability to be rational, the ability to be empathetic. Um, And then if you have someone who wants to sleep on it and someone who wants to talk in the heat of the moment, of course, you have to find the middle ground. Um, And I know that feeling of wanting to resolve everything right away. Uh, And you don't need a lot of time to calm yourself down. Like I'm a kind of a, you know, 
wild thinker that I'll tell people, go do 10 burpees and come back. I'll tell people like, go do seven deep breaths and come back. It's not like you necessarily need a whole day, but in the heat of the moment, you're not going to get anything done. You're going to be defensive. You're going to lash out. You're going to withdraw. And there, there are ways to disarm those types of behaviors too, right? Like learning mm-hmm. how your partner fights um, and not criticizing them for it. Like we all get defensive. We all lash out. We all feel jealous. We all feel insecure. Like I hate the scariest thing in relationships is when you accuse your partner of their feelings, right? Like, oh, you're just jealous or, oh, now you're being defensive. Heck yeah, because I suck right now and I'm pissed off. Right. Um, we all have our moments of being four-year-olds. Like we all have our emotional four-year-old moments and... And you need to support your partner because that's when they're most vulnerable. Like if they're being defensive, you want to disarm them. You want to show them you support. Take some damn responsibility yourself. Like if they're, if you're fighting about something and so of course they're defending themselves, if you want them to start taking responsibility, lead by example and say, okay, you know what? I know in this situation, I could have done this differently. And if you find that they're like more aggressive and they're lashing out, Well, rather than responding with aggression, which is what a lot of us do, offer reassurance, like tell them how great they are in the midst of it. And if they withdraw, if they don't want to talk, try asking them questions, because often the ones who with the one who withdraws is not the person who's speaking up about their needs. Right. So ask them what they're feeling, asking them, ask them what they want. Like there are ways to approach and effectively Um, meet someone even if their fighting or argument style is different than your own. Oh, there's so many, so many good nuggets in this conversation. (laughs) I hope everybody's taking notes. And I know you had mentioned the 36 questions. I'll find a link to that and I'll put it in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com so people have that. Um, So what other, you know, as we're wrapping this up, are there other little nuggets or resources that you would recommend to people along these lines who are trying to have better communication with their partners that they can take and use right now? Well, one, a really simple thing I talk about is uh, 60 second favors. So I have a handout we can send you, but Mm -hmm. just investing 60 seconds of your day to make your partner feel important. Um, And so that could be like bringing them a smoothie or bringing them a coffee that could be in, in Canada up here, throwing their towel in the dryer. So they get a warm towel when they get out of the shower. Um, Anything that makes them know that you've been thinking of them. It's, it's an act of service. If you're looking at it from a love language language perspective, but it doesn't only have to be an act of service, right? It could be a gift. It could be like my husband eats cliff bars. So I pick up a cliff bar or, or you know what it could be? It could be that your husband really, really hates the shower curtain that we have. And you I went out and new, bought a new, new shower curtain. Today, yeah. but it's nice and fancy. <laughs> it might be that. Yeah, it's the I small noticed. things, right? And so I, I, I really believe in daily investment or what we call like in the finance world, they call it dollar cost averaging, right? Like you don't wait until the end of the year to do your tax deductible investment. You invest every week so that you are benefiting from the ups and downs 
downs and hopefully more the, you know, downs if you're buying of the market. So I think it's Mm -hmm. really scary to invest only on your anniversary or birthday or Valentine's Day, which I hate. I think that you should be investing 60 seconds every single day to make your partner feel important. Uh, Another simple change you can make is, is to change your greetings and goodbyes. How do you say hello and how do you say goodbye? Like, just be a dog. When they walk in the room, show some enthusiasm for them. Wag your tail a little. You know, like your dog and your kids greet you like you're the greatest thing in the world and your partner barely looks up from their phone. Not, not, not our kids. kids. <laughs> no, not teenagers. They're like, be quiet. I'm watching TV. What do you want? Okay. A four-year-old. Be a four-year-old. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I, I, those are small things that you can do to really everybody wants wants to feel important, right? I sometimes hear these criticism like, oh, that person just likes attention. What? Every single person likes attention. We are social beings. Now, not everybody wants the same type of attention, but everybody wants to feel loved and feel important. And what's really cool with young people is that we're breaking down the gender barriers around that. So mm-hmm. that we acknowledge that all genders need love, need to feel validated. So like, is, is there something you can do to make your partner feel validated or loved? It could be as simple as looking at them and saying like, you look really nice today. Or it could say, you know, you, you're a really good parent. Like you're really, really good father, a really good mother. Or it could be, you know, I really admire, like I, I, for me, for instance, I could make a list of things I admire about Brandon. Like I love just hearing him on the phone with clients and the care he takes with them. And that's one thing to observe it. But the important piece is that I, I tell him how I feel. Mm-hmm. And especially when your partner is amazing, um, like maybe they're really, really um magazine beautiful right and i see i used to see this a lot with couples like especially with women who are very traditionally beautiful like un undeniably beautiful and they'd feel that their partners didn't make them feel that way and their partners would come in and be like well obviously she's beautiful because it's just so damn obvious but if you don't tell that person in a way that they understand it in a language that they speak then they're not going to feel that way so if they're really funny Tell them how funny they are. And maybe you say it in words. Maybe you say it in laughter. Maybe you say it to other people. Maybe you share a joke of theirs on Instagram. Whatever it may be, you have to convey it in a language that makes sense to them. I like that. You know, I just I just had an epiphany for like the most romantic gift ever. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't tell your partner on a regular basis things you Wait, like about this, them. Is this something that I should be paying particular attention <laughs> no, to? No, because it's not for, my is this, style. Is this it's for more, everybody? It's more for everybody. It's more like kind of like people who are into romantic comedies or something would eat this up. So buy a really nice, um, you know, the notebook, the real fancy notebook with like the hard binding, you know, and every day for an entire year, write a little like sentence of what you love about your partner and then like give it to them on their on your anniversary with like a 365 I love things that. you love about them. I love yeah. that. I think that would be cool. That would get people lots of, you know, and and still tell them, but like keep a secret for a whole year and just write it every day. I love it. I love that, it. And cool. if you can't even make it through a shorter term one, you know, yeah, like even just, like a month or uh Yeah, we we yeah. have a happy jar in our bedroom and at night we write down like something that made us happy that day and we just kind of put the piece of paper in the jar and we don't do it every single day. That's cool. Yeah, because you know, I mean like I I was saying before life is really good. Like I know how life how good life is and I don't I I know it's really good right now and we're not, you know, struggling with anything big, right? Whether it's, right. You, I mean the big things are health, 
security and family. Those are the things like everything in my life is guided by does this affect my health, my security, or my the people I love, right? Um, and that's how I don't get worked up when someone's an asshole in traffic or when, you know, like the bartender's rude to you. Like I can't waste my energy on that because it doesn't affect my ability to eat and drink and have a roof. It doesn't affect the relationship with the most important people next to me and it doesn't affect my health, right? Right. Yeah. But, but I think that life's good and you have to appreciate it. So that happy jar is just a reminder of like, you know, I wake up sometimes and there's birds chirping outside my window and that's what wakes me up. You know, kids are waking up to bombs and people are waking up to airplanes flying overhead in, in a, you know, a war zone. So I, if I, I feel I don't deserve to hear those birds if I don't stop and appreciate them. Wow. You sound like yeah. a Disney princess. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. That's Sometimes amazing. my life feels like that, minus the princessy part. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> really, like we, we have to, in North America, we have to appreciate what we have because, it, you know, and Canada is an interesting place because uh, we have a big middle class in Canada. And I, I always call them rich or us rich. Mm-hmm. And it's very offensive to people, like to my friends, to my neighbors. Like, well, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. They never want to admit that they're rich. They never have enough. And I think like, man, like it's only because you don't really know what it's like to be poor <laughs> Yeah, that, that it's an offense to say that you're rich. Like just, you know, the little kids in my neighborhood will be like, oh, those people are rich. And I turn to them. I'm like, you have a house. You, you've been on a plane. Do you know how rich you are? Right. Like it's, and it's like rich is a stigma and people don't want to admit it. And I'm thinking like, God, like you're so lucky. It is not normal to just be able to buy a bottle of wine in the context of the world. It is not normal to just get to go on a road trip on the weekend in the big picture of the world. Maybe I'm being preachy here, but I'm, I'm just really, I'm really grateful. You must've caught me on a really good day. (laughs) Tomorrow I'll probably be all cranky, but (laughs) you've rated your happy jar. You're like, Oh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool to see the happy jar because and, and life is busy, right? Like we do so many cool things. I want to remember them. I like that. I might I might keep a happy jar. That's very unlike me, but hey, can I keep an angry jar? <laughs> yes, that's more that's more your speed. All right, so just a curmudgeon jar. <laughs> we're we're gonna put the links to um that handout that you had and the thirty six uh, questions and where can people find you or find out more or get to know you or I don't know send you a happy note. I yeah, don't know. send me a happy note. <laughs> um, no, and then I'm like no because like we're women in sex ed. Most of the happy notes we really yeah, and if don't you're listening want, out there and you're thinking about yeah. trolling Doctor Jess, I no. will stab you oh, in the fucking no. neck. Yeah, do not troll Doctor Jess. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And that's how I was describing. You just somehow feel safer with a man next to you. (laughs) Sorry, it's it's my Chicago coming out. A stabby, stabby man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can find me at Sex with Dr. Jess everywhere on Instagram, sexwithdrjess.com. And the podcast is also Sex with Dr. Jess. Awesome. I think they're going to be so much. I feel like I went on a tangent preaching. I'm sorry, folks. I just no, I that was perfect. Loved it. I think I'm just having a really good day. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Catch me on day 28 of my cycle. We'll we'll have a different conversation. Okay. I'll read you this interview. (laughs) The world sucks. (laughs) Everything is awful. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jess. Bye. And hey, give our love to Brandon. Oh, yes. Will do. Thanks. All righty. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.